Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good day, everyone. It's Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Basin out of Australia, and we are The Thought Hackers. Our guest today is a fellow by the name of John Kennedy. John Kennedy was contracted by the U.S. Marines in 2006 to develop a cognitive skills enhancement program to reduce casualties in combat, primarily from IEDs, otherwise known as improvised explosive devices. Combining the latest research into neuroplasticity with his proprietary process and project management methodologies, he created something called PACE, which stands for Progressively Accelerated Cognitive Exertion, and it's a brain training program which is targeting the foundational thinking process. In other words, break it down, think it through, execute. With just a, a few hours of PACE, it produces improved focus and situational awareness, accelerated mental and physical reaction times, and faster learning and better memory. To date, over 3,000 people have experienced PACE and 100% report significant improvement in performance in all areas of their lives. Trainees include Marines, snipers, special operations forces and their instructors, pilots, professional athletes, business people, students and student athletes, and those suffering from brain trauma, including traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress disorder, and concussions. All have had their lives positively changed by the program. So, John, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Yeah. Hamish, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. It's good to have you. So, I'd, so tell us, uh, you know, how did you get into this? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a strange kind of a, a back-end approach. Basically, uh, my background was process re-engineering consulting. That's kind of what I did for very large companies out of Chicago primarily, but um, all over the United States and just making things more efficient. But then in 2006, my brother came back from Iraq and said, IEDs, you know, as you said, improvised explosive devices are killing us. Can you help? And so my hypothesis was that if we could apply a process re-engineering approach to mental processing and use neuroplasticity as the medium, perhaps we could improve the thinking process, and in doing so, make the brain faster, more focused, and, and actually improve intuition. So I was very fortunate to be able to present this to Marine General, who helped me get my first contract. And the key differentiator of our approach, there's a lot of approaches and all some of the excellent approaches to helping the brain improve, we applied, we basically call it a targeted neuroplasticity training program, where we don't target part, uh, specific parts of the brain, but we target the processes that we need for optimum performance. So whether you are someone with a traumatic brain injury or uh, learning disability or PTSD or you're a Navy you know, SEAL, you need to improve um, you know, uh, executive function or decision-making process, uh, analysis and synthesis, which is really huge, the ability to synthesize information efficiently, um, and, and pattern recognition, the ability to recognize patterns and so forth. So we target those processes of the brain, again, process re-engineering, using some very 
specific exercises that are not digital, by the way. You guys probably know a lot of the digital interfaces just do not challenge the brain enough. These are analog exercises, and it basically changes the brain to be faster and more focused in a very short amount of time. So with someone that you want to work with, what's the very first thing that you do? Well, the very first thing we do is we start with our very first exercise. So when we first did our pilot with the Marine Corps, we did some extensive um, cognitive testing of the control group and the trainee group. And, you know, the trainee group, of course, showed a significant improvement. But we found that the exercises themselves become very effective assessment tools as well. So our very first exercise that everybody, Navy SEAL or young child with learning disability starts with is a series of symbols on a piece of paper. And we have them identify these symbols. And of course, each symbol basically represents a decision, the very, very simplest decision you can possibly make. They make this decision and over the course of the page of making these decisions, depending how fast they are, how, how, where they struggle, uh, we can kind of determine the areas of their mental processing that we need to improve. And so we gradually make the, uh, those symbols increasingly more difficult. That's what PACE stands for, Progressively Accelerated Cognitive Exertion. So we, for example, we might have them go through and say the same symbols, but um, a different aspect of the symbol, maybe a color uh, this time, or maybe we'll rotate them uh, 90 degrees. So we make them gradually harder. Um, and in the course of making the brain work harder, it has to change in order to keep up with the load we're giving it. So in, in terms of these symbols, can you give us an idea of what those symbols would look like? Yeah, absolutely. So the very so we have several different um, uh, progressions of harder symbols, but the one we start with to begin with are just arrows because an arrow is the simplest symbol we came up with that actually requires a decision because you define an arrow in terms of the direction it's pointing. And if we can add color to that, then we actually have two different types of decisions we can make from that specific symbol. So break it down, think it through, and execute in our model is the basic thinking process. So as data is coming into our brain constantly, whether you're sitting in a classroom, you're sitting in combat, you're playing a, a sports game, or whatever you're doing in a conversation, there's data that's coming into your brain. And so the faster that you can... Um, think through what's going on, I'm sorry, break it down into the different components, think through what you want to do with it, and then execute on that. That determines the efficiency of your thinking process. And we've found, I mean, over the years, it's been 10 years now, we've, we've continued to reach out to different populations. And what I'm very happy about is people with brain trauma. Um, uh, we've had some significant, very fast recovery from people with traumatic brain injury and, and mild traumatic brain injury like concussions. Uh, we find that people with post-traumatic stress disorder, what happens is when their brain is faster, they can anticipate when a negative trigger is going to happen and actually change their response. Um, so we basically have been able to work, but again, it all comes down to these very, very simple symbols that we make harder. Interesting. Yeah. So, like you said, with color or changing the angle or mm-hmm. perhaps adding to the mind. I don't know. Hamish, uh, do you have any? Not felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff, it's like it's um and yeah, yeah like I'm you said, John, to... people with PTSD, they're they're um, 
their thinking at that level is very fast and to be able to shift that yeah. um, it's amazing stuff so you, you, essentially you're you're creating different strategies in the thinking so instead of what I would normally think going this way I've now created um, you know, this other strategy that where I now go down to this path of thinking um, this this program that I've now created well, uh, well, actually, it goes a little bit deeper. So this is yep. so one of the things I, I love about my program is it's, it's complementary to so many other great ones. So, so as you said, it's excellent. Instead of actually giving them a new strategy, they may already have a strategy. Their psychologist yes. or their practitioner might have said, "This is what you need to do." But what happens is, in the stress of the moment, they don't get there fast enough. Yes. So one of my favorite stories is I work with this uh, young marine. Corporal, and he'd been in, uh, in in Afghanistan and Iraq. He deployed five times. He'd been blown up several times, and he said, "You know, before this training, you know, I would be at dinner with my wife, and she'd pour ketchup on her hamburger, and I would freak out because yep. it would trigger a traumatic experience. And I knew I shouldn't do that, but I ha- I did it anyway because I wasn't thinking about it." He said, "After your training, I can anticipate situations, right. and I can very quickly shift to what I'm supposed to be doing." And so I don't have that reaction. So I really don't teach anybody anything. I really yeah. just kind of make their brain faster. Yeah. The anticipation well, actually, is the key word. Yep. Yeah, anticipation. Yeah. It, it also seems, or what I'm hearing, is that you're creating a gap in this mm-hmm. process that wasn't there before, which allows, like, okay, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, where's where they came from before was a, a knee-jerk response, if you will. Right. And by using this process, you're actually creating a gap between the the stimulus and the response, or the reaction in this case, and giving them a gap to, it's like, oh, I don't need to rea- react this way. I can do something else. It, is that right. correct? No, that's actually, that's a great encapsulation that we actually <laughs> call it cognitively prime anticipation. So, so, for example, you imagine that. So we work a lot with athletes. That allows the athlete to anticipate where the player is going to be in time, right? Or where, how to get a steal. And for the person, as you said, with postmaster, they can anticipate. I, I love the way you're the way you put that. It kind of creates that little that gap where there's actually some space to do some thinking before the execution part. Yeah. That's a great way to describe that. Thank you. It's it's actually where where I got that from is well to do with my own process of of dealing with this knee jerk reaction problem and creating a gap for myself like for example if somebody would come at me with a, a traumatic thing or what what a, like a, a thing that would normally cause me to have a knee-jerk reaction training myself to step away from my computer when that would happen and not respond mm-hmm. so creating that gap but the other thing part of this that I've, what i've mentioned it also comes from spiritual practice where you begin to train yourself so that you don't have that knee-jerk response, that you create a gap in your life. So, so in that gap, it's like, oh, I don't, oh, oh I have choice, and it, it may <laughs> seem like it's still happening rapid fire, and yet there's still space. Yeah, and you can well, actually like step back in a way and just, oh, wait a second, I can do something else. Right, right. Well, it's interesting. So we kind of, you try to put these models, you know, we're always trying to create models, right, to make sense of things. Sure. And so one of the, one of the models that we use um, 
is kind of defining the way we process information similar to a computer in a way. I know some people don't like that, but if you think about um, the applications of a computer, those are the things we do, right? So whether you're you're um, a salesperson or you're uh, an athlete or you're a therapist, whatever, those are the things you do and you practice them and you get better and better and better at them um, by, by impacting that specific area. So like on your computer, you know, you might upgrade your game program, right? Or you might upgrade your, your word processor or something. But typically, and, and athletes would call this muscle memory, right? So if you're yeah. a, a pitcher and you, you're or a quarterback and you throw the ball over and over again, you get better at it. But getting better in that one application doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get better at anything else. But right. you train that neuroplasticity, right? Repetition, we get better at that. Now, the operating system of the computer, we call it kind of like the psychological level of the brain. So some of the things you're talking about where these strategies are really, really important, right? So you can develop strategies at that level that can apply to all areas of your life, right? Because you can develop these strategies and so forth. And then, but the fastest way to improve your computer performance is to get a new processor. And we call that the foundation level. And so that's where we like to work. We feel that if we can make the brain faster and more focused, we can create that faster processor that allows everything else above it to work better. So yes, you know, he'll throw a better football. Yes, he'll have better strategies for this. Yes, all these things can happen. Um, but we just focus on making the brain. Does that make sense? Making yeah. probably improving the, the processor of the brain. So all that other stuff is complementary. Right. Yeah. The processor, the my my understanding, well, at least to computers, that if you wanted to improve the speed of the computer, it's actually not the processor that you would replace. It would be the hard drive, because that's where so much of the accessing is going on. You replace the, say, a standard hard drive with a solid state drive. That's mm-hmm. going to make a huge difference in performance immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, yeah. computer analogies can be tricky. Uh, yeah. Still, I, <laughs> yes. Well. Still, I, I get the idea. I, I get the idea yeah. of what you're what you're yeah. talking about, and and yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what, where to go next with some of these questions. But one I'll of just the ask, I'll, I'll just ask a quick question, John. With um, sure. when when you yeah, um, go for it. Um, uh, when you have people at that point where um, sorry, what was the word we just used before? When they like you're in the, and Nathan's cr- uh, mentioned that gap. Oh, the gap. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, when if people are making that assumption it was the word you used was um, you know thinking thinking uh, like the athlete uh, uh, seeing what's happening before and making an assumption of what's happening what happens when people create that assumption so quickly but the result isn't what they've anticipated you know that's a good question so part of the of the um, benefit comes from the faster thing I don't know if you're familiar with um Kahneman's book, you know, Daniel Kahneman about system one and system two thinking. And so system one is a fast reaction, unconscious thinking, and system two is the deliberate thinking. And system two can override system one. We kind of don't go along completely with um, what is there because we don't see them as two separate things. We go along with um, uh, uh, Francis Crick, you know, one of the big neuroscientists, uh, coined a uh, a saying many years ago called a zombie system. And a zombie system is the unconscious process. But 
from our perspective, that starts as a conscious process. So yep. if you could imagine the first time you ever learned how to drive a car, right? Yep. I remember the first time I learned how to drive a car. Mom, be quiet. Turn off the radio. I'm going to kill somebody, right? Because yep. you're driving a car. And it's taking all your conscious processing just to keep the car straight down the road. Yep. Now we drive a car without thinking about it, right? Mm. It's the same amount of work, but now it's an unconscious system. Yes. So part of the process is to make that that decision-making process unconscious. So it's fast and accurate, but we're not thinking about it. So it's even faster and we're not thinking about it. So if you're making correct decisions consciously, you're gonna now make them unconsciously. And so that relieves the stress as well of trying to use all that conscious thought. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and conscious thinking can so much get in the way of us. (laughs) Yes. Right. Absolutely right. true. Yeah, and the the other part of it is like from a traumatic standpoint, you've got yeah. all this stuff going on in people's lives, and they they want to control it, but they can't because it's functioning at the level of the unconscious mind. Right, right, right. yeah. So with, with, when they're going through that conscious process of of learning how to drive the car consciously before you've created those unconscious habits, and going through that process of um, you know if like I said if something doesn't work and the outcome doesn't uh, they're not getting the results that they're anticipating what's going to what what sort of places do they go into I mean is there d- disappointment I'm a failure or is it like what sort of thinking do they have and how do you yeah, how a, do you that's a good correct question. it so one of, the, one of the things we found and obviously we've been had 10 years to kind of refine yep. this process one of the things we find is and that's why, the, again, progressively accelerate cognitive exertion. The amount that we progress is a little different from each person. Yeah. And it's very, very important that every time we make the variation a little bit harder, um, we need to make it hard enough so they, that it's, uh, you know, works hard, right? So their brain will change. But we ha- can't make it too hard that they get discouraged. Yeah. So, for example, someone with traumatic brain injury, they may have to repeat one of the versions twice or three times before they can move on. Yes. But, you know, they may do it faster the second time. So we always want to encourage them that they're doing well. Mm. And it's pretty amazing. So when we put people through this training, typically, you know, by the end of the, you know, by 35 minutes after we start or somewhere between 35 minutes to an hour and start, I tell them, okay, look back at what you just accomplished. Yeah. And I tell them, I said, if we'd started with that, you would have walked out on me an hour ago. <laughs> There's no way. And they're always amazed because our brains change incredibly fast. According to some neuroscientists, these changes that occur from the um, increasing load on the brain, um, uh, one of the, one of the uh, changes is more postsynaptic receptors. You know, So basically more data flowing across the brain, which is where some of the speed comes from. We're basically increasing the bandwidth of the brain. And they can solidify in as little as 20 minutes. And so it's amazing how when people at the end of the session, they'll look back at how far they've come, and they sometimes they just can't believe it. Mm. But that's very, very encouraging. So we've had a lot of success with people with depression. Um, and I, I believe, I'm not a, a psychologist, but what happens is with depression is, is neuroplasticity, right? You start going down that path down, and everything seems to fit going down, right? Because that's what yes. you're repeating. Well, when you can have the brain start to do something positive, yep. and it's hard, and you accomplish it, you feel good, and you start going on that trail up. 
And so we've had a lot of success with people with depression exactly for this reason, is they're accomplishing things they didn't think they could accomplish, yep. and it starts them going in the positive direction as opposed to the negative direction. Yeah. So while taking them through yeah. the process, there's no, there is no failure, there is no wrong or right. It's, it's, a, right. it's a step, it's yep. a lesson, it's a learning, and yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's a, in a way, it's like reframing. You, you've changed the direction of how people like if they you would continue to go down then that would be the down thing but it it sounds like so uh, somewhere along the line you're taking a bit of a detour and taking them into a different process that is outside of what they've been normally doing right and, and you're just talking about some symbols on a piece of paper <laughs> they've never mm. seen it before they have no connection to anything that they've done so they're not threatening they're just kind of silly right so but say these and you know and of course we do say them and the reason we say them out loud is because we want to incorporate as many parts of the brain as possible so as opposed to a digital screen which is shallow this is a piece of paper they're saying them they're seeing them they're hearing them and then we incorporate their hands which incorporates two more parts of the brain and we can even incorporate their feet as well so while they're just focusing on something simple, like saying these symbols, the brain is working incredibly hard to do everything in sync. And that's where the, the real big changes come from. It, it makes sense, some of what you're talking about, because I'm thinking about those, those different parts of the body being brought in. For mm -hmm. example, if you're a musician uh, and you just play an instrument, so chances are both of your hands are occupied and you might have something slung around your neck. But let's yeah. say you're a musician who does some singing, so okay, you've got a third component. And then let's say you've got the same musician who also plays a harmonica at, at different <laughs> points. And, and then to take it one step further, you get someone who is a drummer who is also a vocalist, so you've got that mm -hmm. person with all major limbs of the body engaged as well as voice on top of it. Right. And that takes a, that's, that's a lot of concentration to get everything to work together in a synchronized manner so that you, you can get the result that you want. Yeah, that's a great analogy. That's right. I'd love to do a brain scan of uh, Phil Collins. <laughs> I was just thinking about yeah. Phil Collins, actually, yeah, right. because, because I seem to recall that he had some sort of an injury that prevented him from playing the drums anymore or oh. something like that. I, I don't recall what the injury was. But it's funny that you mentioned Phil Collins because I was thinking of him in, in this yeah. exact moment. Yeah, vocalist and a drummer. I mean, that's what he, yep. that's what he did. Um, <clears throat> and we do add some timing uh, as well. So we want, exactly as you're saying, we want to synchronize everything. You know, saying these symbols, using your hands, and of course, you know, left side of the brain controls right side of the body, vice versa. So we're incorporating both sides of the brain in sync with everything else. And I think that's where a lot of the, the cognitive overhead comes through that makes the brain work so hard. Mm. So considering the processes that you're doing, I, I'm sitting here and thinking, hmm, so I wonder what the lasting effects are after you've finished taking s someone through a process because I would think there have been all these changes. And how does that actually change someone's well, mindset, a, like a, you're talking about depression, yeah. for example. Well, that's a great example. So this one young man I've been working with depression, I've worked with him for several months. When I first, and I work with people via Skype, you know, because we have to be able to see each other. Yep. I have more yep. I have to see them than they see me. 
And when I first met him, and he was sitting there on the sofa, he had a hoodie on, he was overweight, and he was slovenly, and he just was not engaged at all. About a month later, his mother commented to me the changes that he'd, she'd seen in him, and he'd shaved. Um, he was losing, he was working out every day. Um, he was actively looking for work, and now he has a full-time job. I mean, he's lost about 100 pounds. He was 300 pounds when we started. And, I mean, he's, like, on a totally new trajectory for his life. And it's interesting, the change is most people, because we work, make the brain work so hard so quickly, most people notice improvements almost immediately. In fact, um, this last week, I mean, I do, as I said, I work a lot with athletes. Uh, uh, there's a, a professional football team in Canada in the CFL called the Red Blacks. I've been working with a quarterback for a while. He says it's made a huge difference in his performance. So I talked to him and let me work with their offensive line. Because the quarterback was getting sacked. And I said, you got to let me work with your offensive line so you don't get sacked anymore. So first game after I worked with them, no sacks. And the announcers, because I always watch their games, was commenting on how well the offensive line was controlling the game. So it, these changes happen uh, very quickly, but it manifests itself differently, I think, depending on what it is we're focused on. So for athletes... You know, a basketball team I work with, they're all their shooting percentage got better. Their steals, you know, they get they had more steals. They won more games. Um, for a young girl with learning disabilities, you know, she can read all of a sudden. The first time I work with her, she got all her rights and lefts. At probably 60% of her rights and lefts, she got backwards. By the end of the hour, she was getting them all correct. And her mom told me that for the first time ever, she, you know, raised her hand in class and got something right. And I mean, so, so these changes are very powerful. They happen very quickly. Mm. And, you know, for me, so so the neuroscientist that I was working with said that these changes are permanent. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that because I think what happens is we get used to these new baselines. But as long as you continue to practice the exercises, and I always tell people how to do that, they'll continue to get benefits. But if they stop, they won't continue to get benefits. They'll kind of stay where they were. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. It, it, it's like so many other things in life. We have to, we have to con continue doing what we're doing. Otherwise, we will either, as you say, stay as we are, or actually start to regress. Right. Right. Uh, or lose some of what we've, what we've obtained. But the nice thing about some of these things is that once you've developed a pattern of it, that if you go away from it for a while and then you come back, it's it's easier to get back yes. to where you that's once right. were. Yep, that's right. That's exactly right. And obviously, uh, a lot of the people you would work with would be, I want to have this outcome uh, with with what I'm doing. So you take them through these processes. And when they reach mm -hmm. those results, um, you equally then can then just go to, oh, well, let's, let's create another outcome. Let's set new goals and start the process yeah. again. Yep, just keep exactly. going and building and improving all the time. You're so, right. And we, as I say, we also do have different types of exercises. After that, that's kind of the basic one, and we go through right. several of those. But we actually have another one, which, which is actually always amazes me that the feedback I get from people. It's actually a puzzle we use. It's got five plastic pieces and a deck of cards, 60 shaped cards. You can buy these anywhere. And most people, if they're good at puzzles, they like them. <laughs> if they're not good at puzzles, they don't. And, you know, but I always let people try on their own. And it's very rare that anybody can solve any of these puzzles in less than five or sometimes even 10 minutes. So what we do is we train them in a thinking process that so they mentally examine each piece, 
break it down, right? Think through where each one has to go, and then they execute fast with their hands. And after an hour or two of the training, they can do any puzzle in the deck in 10 seconds or less. And yeah. so that applies then to anything, writing a report, driving your car, whatever it is, playing a sport, you know, all those pieces have to come together. But if you train your brain to do them unconsciously, it's much more efficient and much less stressful. That, that makes perfect sense. You know, like some of the things that I've been seeing online, Facebook is a perfect example, where they would give you like an IQ test. And what was in it, what I noticed about those tests, in, in some cases, I'd look at the exercise and go, I've seen this before. Yeah. It's a particular kind of exercise which is based on a pattern. And if you've gone through it once yeah. or twice before, it's like, oh, I know what this is. And yeah. I just mess around with it for a few minutes and boom, there, I had the result. And I remember going through this and getting the score from it and going, ah, there's no <laughs> way that I'm that smart. <laughs> well, I mean, don't, don't I, say yourself short. You might be. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it indicated that my IQ was 160. And I thought, well, you know, and then I started looking up the original test. And it turns out right. it was a condensed form of the test. And when I looked at the original test and some of the stuff in there, I thought, Nope, don't have the skill set for this, and I know I'm not going to score that high because I don't know these things. Because one of the things that I've noticed in life is that there are patterns all over the place, and there yes. are and there are little shortcuts and techniques. And if somebody teaches you a shortcut, well, a, a, a case in point. This may be off topic, but I'm going to use it anyway. Um, when I was uh, a student in high school. I wasn't performing very well in different classes or one class of particular chemistry. Mm -hmm. I, I blew it. I failed it. And then years later, I wound up in a technical school and I wound up in chemistry again and I knew I had to pass it. And I was sitting there working very hard trying to understand. And then one day I had an idea. And it was just a chemical formula that had like an equation that popped into my mind. God knows where it came from. But I, I used it and I and it unlocked the chemical formula I was working with wow. and then I tried it again and it unlocked another formula. I tried it several times and it worked 100% of the time. Wow. And so what happened is once I had this, I referred to it as the key to chemistry. I could do anything I wanted within chemistry and all, and get it right like, like almost 100% of the time and my marks just skyrocketed. Wow. And I wound up with the second highest mark on the final exam. Wow. Wow. So, so sometimes, you know, with this kind of stuff, we just get, sometimes intuition comes or something comes yeah. yep. who only knows where. I mean, if that had happened to me in high school, I would have, <laughs> but it, it didn't show up then, it showed up later. Right. And, uh, well, well, what I'm thinking is, if you could send that to me, because my daughter's starting chemistry this year. <laughs> but, no, I'm, but, not yeah. even, I'm not even sure that I remember exactly what that formula right. was, but it was very, very simple. It was, it was something like 1-X or something like that. It was really simple, mm -hmm. and it just was amazing. Super, super easy but, after that. But you're right. I mean, if you do some research, pattern recognition is huge. It's a key to our memory. It's a key yeah. to our processing. It's a key to our reaction. I yep. mean, patterns is how our brain processes information. So that was great that you came upon that and found a pattern that worked. Yep. Um, yeah, and that's why pattern recognition is such a part of our training, is, yeah. that, is that part of it. So, John, what, and the, and what, those IQ tests, too. 
yeah. I was just going to ask quickly, just that example that Nathan used with uh, doing the Facebook quiz and and then coming out of it at the end saying, no, I can't, I'm, I'm not that smart. So you would you'd have people that you work through the process um, and clearly can do it and get results from it, but beliefs that they've created about themselves, like, no, I, I'm not that smart, I can't... Uh, what, what, like Nathan just said, looking at it at the end where I got results, but my beliefs are telling me, no, that's not me. What? How do you work with that? Well, that, that's it's excellent. So, so everyone we work with, uh, and again, I mean, just the process of doing something progressively harder and doing it well and becoming good at it. Uh, what we find is, um, and I, you know, I've had I work, I've partnered with some sports psychologists and so forth. You know, a lot of sports psychology is believing you can do something, right? Yep. Even if you can't. Yep. The problem with that is sometimes you really can't. Yeah. And so what we find with this training is that they really can. And so, I mean, some of the feedback from student athletes you work with, I mean, subjects that they, you know, they, they, they took the training because their basketball team said they got to do it to play better basketball. But the feedback from, you know, uh, you know, physics, you know, I, I'm the only guy ever passed who passed the test and so forth. And so because these changes help so many parts of the brain, they really do perform better, which of course then reinforces the belief that they can do better. Yes. Um, and, and we actually, I, I love working with people who, you know, start out at a deficit or even more so people, as you know, who have a traumatic brain injury or mm. some kind of traumatic thing because to them, it's really a personal thing because to them, they've been there, right? They've yeah. been a high performer and now, and they know what, what they used to be. One of the young men I worked with uh, who had a severe concussion, he's a high school, I mean, he's a college kid, got hit by a semi-truck, and he said, you know, I, I get so angry because my doctors test me and they keep comparing me to normal. He said, I don't want to be normal. I want to be exceptional like I was before. And so through the training, he did. Yeah, I mean, he aced all the tests and everything. He, he aced out of a, um, uh, you know, a neuropsych test. And, and so all these wonderful things happen for him but as opposed to someone who's already pretty well performing and wants to get better someone who's been there and now is not and wants to get back that's really motivational for us to get them back there yep yeah it, it's interesting because sitting here listening to you i was thinking about there was something that happened when i was a kid i was in junior high school and <laughs> i was in a situation yet again where my I, my performance in school was not very good and there were two major things that happened that year that caused a dramatic improvement. And the first one was uh, me wanting to get involved in music, and I wanted this gear, but I didn't have the money for it. And my father came to me, and he created what they call an ethical bribe, which was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it sounds funny, but it, it an ethical bribe which is uh, I'll make you a deal you get your marks up and I will get you the gear that you want mm. and I thought okay cool I, I'll do that and then the other thing that happened is at the same time in the one of the classes where I was doing very poorly was math and at the same time my teacher her name was Mrs. Bray she created a subgroup in her class where she created uh, instructions for math in a much more in-depth process than the rest of the class was using and coupled with that bribe from my father I remember my marks from that mm. year went from 20 to 55 to 77 to 92 oh. by the end of the year awesome. but it, it was the ethical bribe coupled with 
what she was doing, which allowed me to learn at my own pace as opposed to other people in the room. And what an enormous difference. Huge. Wow. And so perhaps some of that ties in a little bit to what you're doing. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, because one, you know, we want to we want to unlock what's holding them back. Yep. Um, yeah. In their mind, and then you know, and the the, the the ethical bribe would be just most of the people we work with are motivated. They want to be better for whether they're a pro quarterback or they're someone depressed. They want to be better, and yep. that's the bribe, right? So you know, you will get better if you do this work. Um, and this work is basically breaking things down and making them ability to to get these things done. So it's a big enough yeah. carrot. You present yeah. it in a particular way that that they can visualize or or get a visceral experience. It's like, oh, maybe I can yeah. do this, and yeah. it gives them that right. that jump start, if you will. Right, right. And as I said before, we always point out by the end of the session, we point out where they are compared to where they started. And That's so important. So, yeah, oh, absolutely. And they look back and say, wow. Because you know, again, if they tried to start with where they ended, there's no way they could have done it. But they did. Yes. And in the process, you know, they changed their brain. Did all kinds of good things happen. They feel great. That they say, "Man, I can, I can take on more challenges. I can do yeah. this." So, with regards to what you've been talking about, for those of uh, the people who are going to be listening to this show, where would they find more information about what you do? So our our program uh, is actually called Combat Brain Training. Um, basically because we originally worked for the military and so in the beginning it was all military and um, so that's why the combat brain in it. it's not combat training you had to make sure they put the brain in there <laughs> so combatbraintraining.com is a website and there's a form there's a lot of information there's a video and some some talks I need to upgrade it of course uh, but there is a, um, um, a, a you know a, resp- a request for information uh, form that they can put their information in there Make sure they recommend this, you know, mention this program. I've, I've loved doing this with you guys, and they should yep. definitely recommend this program. And, um, uh, you know, put that in there, and then that, that way I can send them more information, especially if they tell me what their interest is. Um, that's one of the um, questions on the form, and that allows me to send them the appropriate information yep. they're looking for. Excellent. So in, in terms of what we've covered today, is there anything else that comes to mind that you'd really like to share that we haven't talked about yet? Um, not really. I think this has been great. I, I love talking to you guys. Um, I love what you're doing. I think it's really important what you're doing uh, to help people. Um, and I think uh, we've probably covered pretty much covered how it works, uh, what they can expect. Okay. Um, so yeah, just have them go to my website and yep. put in a request, send them some information. Or you know, awesome. alternate, they can also email. I, I don't always do this, but for your audience, I'll give them my email. It's just John at CombatBrainTraining.com, and they can just send a personal email, say whatever they want, instead of having to use a form, and I'd be happy to get right back to them. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for being on our show today. Uh, Hamish, is there anything else that you'd no, like to add before no, we? It's, I mean, our, our brain is an amazing thing, and it's the the, poten- <laughs> the potential and. The limits we put in ourselves to, and the beliefs we create, but what we can do with it is just incredible. But love, love hearing what you're doing, and uh, it's amazing stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, thank you, yeah. and thanks again, to you guys. I mean, I, I think again, I think you're doing an awesome service for people to get information out there. 
Well, we really Thank appreciate you. having you with us today. It's been a very enjoyable call, very interesting in so many different ways. So, so um, want to thank you for being with us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, who knows? We'll probably have you back again because yeah. I, I really like what you've been talking about. Yeah. It's been really interesting. I have to admit, I would love to experience some of these processes myself just to see. Yeah, well, let's, talk, let's talk about that. I'd be happy to maybe show you how it works a little bit. Yeah, I, I would that. be in, yeah. I would be interested in experiencing that for sure. Great, we can do that. Let's okay. Do that. So, in the meantime, um, for those of you who have been listening, uh, hope you've enjoyed what you've learned, and John has given you all sorts of information about how you can get in touch with him. So, until next time, my name is Ham- uh, Nathan Siegel, rather. My colleague Hamish Baston is with me. Uh, our guest has been John Kennedy. And we want to thank you for being with us today. And we will see you, or rather, speak to you in the next show. You've been listening to The Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios and books that will create change in your thoughts.